Hello everyone and welcome to this latest instalment of GTR's podcast series. I'm Jeff Ando, Content and Production Director at GTR and this time we shall be reflecting on developments in the African market in response to the coronavirus pandemic. Following various lockdowns and restrictions placing huge strain on the market, GTR gathered a number of experts together to assess the impact of COVID-19. For this podcast episode, we share perspectives on a range of themes, from soft commodities to export credit, to some of the key lessons learned. We first heard from Dr. Robert Besley, Executive Director of Ex-Africa, along with Meme Onyebuchi, Standard Chartered's Head of Trade for South Africa and Southern Africa, both of whom provided an initial overview of the current situation. The uh, curve that we are seeing at the moment, or the, at least the infection hubs that we're seeing at the moment, these are very much focused on two areas in Africa. One in the north, in North Africa, focused on Egypt, Algeria, Morocco, and Tunisia, as well as very much down in the south, in South Africa. These are obviously the two hubs where most testing capability is most present, and also where much testing is being ramped up at the moment. So this is almost... A, a, a reality that because of the increased testing, there will be a more increased, increased infections numbers here. There's a potential that a third infections hub is emerging in West Central Africa around the uh, Gulf of Guinea. Um, but for now, at least, it looks like Africa does not yet have a trajectory moving towards real epidemic epicenters. Um, so there is a bit of a question here about where Africa will go in terms of coronavirus infections. Now, if you look at the next slide, um, you can see Africa's curve is quite different to what we've seen in China or in the US or in Europe over the past few months. It's actually far less steep, particularly when you look at infections per day. Um, since many of the lockdown measures were imposed last month, we can see infections and deaths per day actually dropping off. This leads us to a question. Does this mean that all the lockdown measures are working uh, and that Africa will be spared this third wave of infections? Or are we still expecting a big third wave to hit us uh, later in the year? The South African government at the moment, with the largest number of infections, expects the peak to hit in September with at least 1.5 million uh, infections just in Johannesburg alone. That's a worst case scenario, but this does seem what the uh, health uh, practitioners around the government in South Africa are working on at the moment. It's the impact of the lockdowns. It is the impact of the travel and trade disruptions around the African continent that are causing key concerns. About two-thirds of African countries have completely locked down, and about 15 uh, African countries have partial lockdown or curfew measures in place. Now, the, Af the World Bank, uh, which is due to meet with the IMF later this week, has forecast that Africa will enter its first recession in 25 years. This is due to, mostly due to four factors. One, a disruption of trade and value chains mostly because of a potential of China's disruption to supply chains in China. Secondly, a disruption of financing flows and remittances. A particular fear here would be that much in, uh, investment committed or pledged to infrastructure projects will drop out. Thirdly, and perhaps most seriously, is the risk of a lengthy public health emergency. 
where many of the forecasts we're looking at at the moment are in fact incorrect. And Africa will dip in and out of a public health emergency for the next 18 months or so. And fourthly, there is still a concern about the implementation of curfews and lockdowns across the African continent. To what extent is uh, the coercive measures and the police abuse and the disruption of elective process and democracy in Africa going to impact uh, economic growth and stability on the continent? Thank you, Robert. Um, many people will argue that that third wave is already here. I'm, I'm certain you are talking about scale. But if we are not doing testing from a scientific point of view, you don't have an idea of the number of people who are infected. We have already seen that there's community spread in some of the countries that you already mentioned about. When you look at the first two markets that will be significantly affected, Nigeria and Angola, it's very clear uh, because they have this triple whammy, not just one, not just two. And then we have South Africa as well, because now we've been downgraded as well here in South Africa uh, during this period. Many people will argue that the whole world has been downgraded by the virus. But of course, the psychological impact of uh, the, the, the rating, Fitch and Moody's rating on South Africa uh, is going to affect it as well. And then the third country, uh, the fourth country you have to look at is Kenya. Kenya's exposure to China alone, 5 billion in bilateral trade. And uh, of course, one of the key countries in sub-Saharan Africa. These are the countries that I feel from an economic point of view will be most impacted, but there'll be others. It's gonna affect the rest of Africa. We then heard from two companies operating very much at the forefront of the current crisis. Antonella de Cunha of Cape Span, a fresh fruit supplier, and Lou Van Rienen of South African meat producer Beefmaster both of whom spoke about how the pandemic is impacting on their business processes. And you're continuously adjusting. For example, you know, a lot of people said, oh my goodness, you can't, um, how can you carry on with business as usual when the hygiene practices are, are, have been so upgraded? Actually, they're not. As a fruit export, food export company, you would need to comply to Eurogap, to Global Gap, to HACCP, to those standards. So all you do is you lift at your benchmark to make sure that the infection, contamination, et cetera, is, at a diff is avoided altogether. So that has, that has brought a lot of best practices into the pack houses, into the orchards, into the supply chain. Um, naturally, uh, there are some uh, uh, challenges that the business was faced with that we were, did not expect. The lockdown did bring in a caveat in terms of labor, availability of labor. So lockdown meant a lot of people thought, wow, great, I, I'm now allowed to go home, forgetting that essential services, food, fruit is part of the, of the game, and you will still be able to pick the fruit. So you had to bring back labor, transport them back in, um, go and talk to them, make sure, go through all the, um, the training to ensure that they understand. So for example, at Nova, our pack house in Paul, we've introduced new standards, higher standards. They were already there. You had to wear a mask in the pack house. Now that mask is replaced three times a day. Now we're taking temperatures daily. So before a staff member enters, you are temperature, your temperature's checked. So those are the kinds of enhancements that have brought in different changes. We have a contingency plan, and I think the whole, um, the alliances in the industry and the shipping, with government, etc., are working very well to look at what other opportunities there are. So you will know that 20 years ago, more or less, the industry moved from conventional vessels, 
which would take 5,000 pallets of fruit out into a destination or a market to containerize, which was basically 2,100, 3,000 cartons of product that would go to a designated customer. We've moved back to conventional. So the first conventional vessel is loading this week. Um, I think she takes 3,000 or 4,000 pallets. The whole industry is picking, packing, and ready to load on the vessel. Remember that with citrus, the cold chain and the cooling of the product for certain markets, excluding America, Korea, uh, Japan, China, where it's a steri market, can happen on board the vessel. So you can literally pick the fruit, pack the fruit, send it down to the port. It can be checked for export and it then get, goes into cooling on the, on the vessel. So the first uh, conventional vessel loading this week, next week we have another one. First one going UK, Europe, Russia. Second one going Europe, Russia. And then there's one coming in for the East, hopefully. So that's the big contingency plan that we've made because the equipment availability, because of the global swing, has meant that we don't have the containers. The congestion in the port with general cargo means that we can't get access like we would like to. And as you say, cold, uh, cold um, chain is, is a problem, but fortunately not for citrus. POEM, we've got, our, we've got our designated warehouses and they are there to support us. Our business, uh, we've, we've made some changes, quite considerable changes on the external side, outside the business, although the business has always been prone to uh, viral diseases. So we've, um, we've, we've got all the measurements in place and every single thing that, that is now done to, uh, to fight uh, COVID-19, we've been doing in the business uh, for a very long time already. So um, the, we didn't have any problems with our staff really. Uh, we had over 90% attendance from day one uh, before the lockdown even. And uh, we're still now standing at 97% on an everyday basis. Uh, so it's, it's really not, uh, it's not a major change for the business, uh, but we had to adjust to be able to, uh, to retain revenue. And we constantly have to change markets. Um, and for instance, in the beginning, uh, we had huge challenges uh, because we were sold out within days because of uh, panic buying. And, um, and then uh, a week after that, it changed completely away from, from uh, the, the food service quick, uh, QSRs back to retail. And then again, after that, it swung off the east and now it's totally gone back, back to exports. So we, we had to adjust quite considerably. China is back to, to uh, um, business unusual because they're actually buying more uh, from us uh, since uh, some of the other countries can't uh, export there. And uh, we, we're struggling to get containers. Uh, we are really struggling to get plug-in ports into Shanghai and some other ports. Uh, but we, we are really having a major, major difficulty to get uh, the vessels on time to be able to load the containers. And for us, that is a challenge because we've got shelf life on the product that's mandatory in those countries under law. So say for instance, chilled product will have a, a three month shelf life going into Jordan or into Dubai and uh, into China, we've got frozen product at a, at a year shelf life. So we need to be able to get the container there in time for the product to be, um, to be exchanged on a consumer level. So that's uh, the major problem for us was to have containers. Um, 
but uh, on on the on the sales we've done exceptionally well our next section covers the export credit market and the support required to help African markets steer through a period of turbulence. For this section, Gabby Buck of GKB Ventures and Angelica Adamski of the Sweden Africa Chamber of Commerce surveyed the current state of the market. And the problem with this storm is that we don't, for the moment, have any end in sight as to when it will finish. We've had $42 billion of outflow from the emerging markets uh, since the beginning of this crisis. From a bank perspective, they are not onboarding new clients at this, at this present time. Existing clients are drawing down on their revolving credit facilities and taking cash where they can. Banks are struggling to manage this excess demand. Funding in the wholesale markets are going up. This is similar from a banking perspective to the 2009 financial crisis, but it's worse. Then that was liquidity. This is liquidity, but more fundamentally about credit risk. From an export credit agency perspective, they're gonna be hit in their key sectors. Potentially gonna be facing with a sovereign debt crisis for much of their overseas borrowers, We've already heard Robert talk about um, the IMF and the World Bank allocating a trillion US dollars um, in terms of support. This is going to um, follow on in terms of needing of concessional financing for those countries that are entering into an IMF program. And the demand side, I think, is going to be weaker right across the board. I perfectly agree with Gabby, the ECAs would need to come together on a global basis. And if we boil it down one level, it's a question, what do we need from the ECAs? Well, we need continued, very high coverage in connection, not only with the political risks, but also with the commercial risks. And now remember that we are trading in Africa, which in turn has got high risks in itself. I also see that it would be good to actually extend uh, the coverage to short-term credits and to trade receivables. Um, a lot of the ECAs around the globe, they already do this. But for the ones that are not doing this, this is an equally important thing to think about. But how can we cover short-term trade? I can also see that the coverage uh, would or we would benefit from extending the coverage also to the sub-suppliers. Uh, we've got an interrupted chain of trade and of the whole supply chain is interrupted. And it's essential actually to see well, how can we also put the supply chain back to a functioning position. Our closing section featured contributions from Duarte Pedrera, Head of Trade Finance at Crown Agents Bank, Vinod Madhavan, Group Head of Trade at Standard Bank, and Mandy Rapson, Consultant and Sustainability Practitioner. I think uh, I think we 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 were all in a very uh, keen mode mode of excitement about Africa. You know, attending conferences last year across the board. Um, the, 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 the topics would all go around the, the opportunities of the, the, the free trade agreement. But it's not just that. 
we were finally seeing economic diversification in Africa, uh, solid investment in, in infrastructure, the opening of uh, trade borders, talks about common currencies in parts of the continent. And, and I think for me, the, the, the most encouraging signs were coming from uh, seeing Africa moving on from just being a, a, a bid for commodities, but actually uh, moving towards value-added industries. I mean, I don't need to remind anyone on this, uh, on this seminar that uh, at the moment we've got, we proudly have mobile phones being produced in Africa, in different parts of Africa. We've got laptops, uh, energy meters, and so on and so forth. Um, now, of course, COVID-19 has thrown a spanner in the works, and, and as far as I see it, uh, and apologies for stating the obvious, uh, things can, can, can go two ways, positive or negative. Um, if we look at the, uh, at, at the negative effects, I mean, you've mentioned this, Robert, the, the two-thirds of, uh, two of Africa are in effective lockdown, and I think we've got over 15 additional countries in, in partial lockdown. Um, now think about this. The informal sector, whether we like it or not, is still very much the catalyst of, of African economies. Um, so by, by having people staying at home, uh, the, the informal sector will suffer. How are we supposed to expect people who've always bought from, from people, other people on the streets to all of a sudden move into, into the formal, uh, formal trade? It's not going to happen. Um, at the same time, uh, of course, we all know that Africa is heavily dependent on imports, imports and exports. And, and now we've got many, many of the, the, the African airports for sure and also quite a few of the, the ports closed down. If that wasn't enough, then we, we saw a slump in, in uh, commodity prices uh, with oil price going down spectacularly um, and, and the repercussions that will have, which you quite rightly alluded to in terms of countries like Angola, Nigeria, uh, and so on and so forth. Now, you know, I've, I've, um, I've always touched on this and now that we're living yet another crisis, overdue or not, but uh, it's, it's a real thing. Uh, and it's only just starting. I will want to see what the banks and the financiers' reaction is going to be. Are we all going to run for the hills as we seem to be doing at the moment, where, of course, we are very scared about the new wave of stress testing and, and shoring up capital and so on and so forth, and everybody's kind of putting new business on hold? Uh, or will banks be there to finance the new wave? What is at the core the uh, the gaps that the current situation has highlighted? Uh, and in my mind, it's like basically kind of two two constituencies, for lack of better words. One being the corporates uh, as clients, and the second being the people, be it the corporate side or be it at let's say in in, in the in in my team and in operations. Um, the corporates are going through kind of it has already been covered. So kind of in my mind, it's basically a financing requirement because of the extension of cash conversion cycles. And the second thing is in terms of risk mitigation, either operational risk mitigation or what shall I say, country risk comes to mind due to everything that we have spoken about. And how can digitization help corporates specifically now and let's say in the uh, on a more broader base. And secondly, in terms of people, I think everybody's moved into BCP. 
we have covered that in the past here. Uh, our corporate clients have activated work from home slash BCP and so have banks. I'm talking about the banking industry. So what are the immediate kind of, uh, shall I say, issues being faced? Um, the, the fact that DHL as a career company does not support markets such as, let's say Mauritius. Some of us, not me, but some of us have chosen to, shall I say, uh, hub operations into low cost locations. Let's say India, let's say Philippines. How do we actually documents move them, move there? Uh, and a lot of people have solutions to that. But I think all of us would admit that we have got caught out. This in my mind is actually the biggest impetus, both from a, a, a people and corporates point of view towards adoption of digitization. The, the spread of the pandemic has, has brought to the fore the desperate need for business leaders to, to recognize the crucial interdependencies between business, the environment, social and governance. Um, and it is very evident that now more than ever, that the success of business trading cross borders is dependent hugely on the quality of the social fabric um, in which we operate. Businesses need to, to strengthen the social immune system um, for their own good and their own long-term sustainability. And what this means is reducing extreme poverty and, and inequality such that societies can withstand crises like this. Um, so speaking about relocalization, um, there's definitely a big need to bring it in local and strengthen locally. Um, the crisis has created a unique and monstrous um, impact. But as we continue to push the boundaries of society um, and the environment, more frequent crises like this are going to be expected to occur. That brings this latest GTR podcast to a close, which we hope you found useful. Please do look out for GTR's unrivaled editorial coverage, forthcoming webinars, along with updates on some exciting new virtual events we'll be launching soon. We'll also be bringing you further podcasts, including the new weekly GTR News Brief, as we look to connect the market in these uncertain times. But until then, thank you for listening, and we'll see you again soon.